Welcome everybody to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. I'm your host, Laura Rutterford, a physiotherapist, Pilates instructor, and fellow hippie. We're here to talk about all things hip dysplasia, to build a community, to support and guide each other through the ups and the downs. If you like the podcast, please share it and rate it. It really helps others to find it too. If you have any questions or feedback, please email me at laura at helpforhipdysplasia.com. I also just wanted to let you know that I am now on Patreon with my library of hip-friendly Pilates and mobility classes, my Stand Stronger program, and lots more useful hip-friendly tools. If you want to have a look at this, check this out at patreon.com forward slash help for hip dysplasia, or you can find it in the link in my Instagram bio or on my website. Let's get on with the show. Welcome everybody to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. We have another returning guest for this week, this week and we are very, very happy to have back with us Ashley Spala from over in the States. Thank you so much for coming back, Ashley. Yay, hey everyone. <laughs> yeah. So we obviously had a chat um, last, was it last month? Was it March? Yeah. At the end of so. month, last month, we had our um, Miles for Hip, Help for Hip Dysplasia and PA Buddies all got together to do this thing. A hip dysplasia awareness week and it was just amazing to meet all of you guys over at miles for hips and work as well with sydney and tiana over at PAO buddies so um we obviously got to have a mini interview chat um for thankful thursday where we chatted to you and your mum about your journey so far um, and how you were so thankful to your mum for all the support that she's given you so it was amazing to meet your mum and please say hi to her again for me absolutely so it was obviously a bit of a whistle-stop tour last time because um, it was just a, a mini-interview, but I'd really love to be able to delve in a little bit deeper with you this week um, and learn a little bit more about your journey, be able to ask a few more sort of deeper questions if you're happy to do that with us today. Oh, absolutely. Ask away. <laughs> cool. So <laughs> let's just start back at the beginning, if that's okay. For anybody that didn't hear the Thankful Thursday interview, um, let's just go straight back to the beginning. Okay, so um, my journey started in 2009. Um, it unfortunately didn't start off in the best note because I had a, my right hip PAO that was done incorrectly from a local surgeon where I live in the Midwest um, in Indianapolis, Indiana, um, which is kind of Midwest of the States. Um, and it was done by a surgeon who wasn't uh, qualified or fellowship trained. Uh, and I didn't know that at the time there wasn't resources like Miles for Hips or IHGI, um, PAO Buddies. There wasn't anything like these groups that were available. Um, so it was just very much kind of finding it out on your own. And unfortunately, I found out too late and I had it done incorrectly. And so it led me out to Boston and um, to Dr. Millis. At Boston Children's and met the best man possible for the job. Uh, I had several revision surgeries, um, including a femoral osteotomy and um, just numerous surgeries. And I, to the point where I've had now 20, over 20 hip surgeries um, and was diagnosed with a related genetic disorder called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and um, that Dr. Millis played a role in. He kind of put the puzzle pieces together that no one else kind of figured out. 
um, and and it's kind of led me to this point where the the botched PAO led me to an early hip um, total hip replacement and early osteoarthritis. And unfortunately, I became one of like 0.01% of patients that gets recurring infections called osteomyelitis. And it kept coming back and back and they couldn't clear the infections. And so unfortunately, I lost my entire hip and about a third of my proximal femur or the top of my femur. So I have no hip and no part of the top of my femur leaving my right hip and leg about three and a half inches shorter than my left leg. And I use crutches um, for walking around the house for like short distances, very short distances, and then a wheelchair for mobility. So um, it's definitely left that, but then I, I've had a left PAO, which was done by a fantastic surgeon, very knowledgeable, and it was done in 2015. So it was like a night and day difference of knowledge from what I had, and it's going strong. Like it's completely opposite of what I had, thankfully. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I can do this <laughs> with both sides, um, but just completely opposite. And just the knowledge difference between the two is just incredible from what I learned. Uh, but that's just the kind of the differences in my journey, just from one side to the other um, and, and where I am now. So, I mean, there's, there's so many things that I want to come back to about all of the stuff that you've just said. But one of the first things that you said that I really wanted to come back to was you saying that you didn't know any different to perhaps check the qualifications or the history or the background of the consultant that you were trusting with your surgery. And I suppose my question is that if you could go back and do that differently, if anybody else out there is listening to this thinking, well, I've got a surgery coming up, how can I check that my consultant really knows what they're doing? What would you advise people to look up or to ask questions about or to know before going into the surgery? I, I blame, I blankly trusted, like my surgeon referred me to another surgeon and I was thinking, wow, like if he's referring me to another surgeon, this is a big deal. Like he must know what he's doing and just, just blindly trusted that. And I didn't know to look up anything. And so now we know to look up the fact that, you know, are they fellowship trained? Have they gone to, um, have they gone through specialist training for PAO um, surgeries? Have they performed enough PAO surgeries prior to um, your surgery? Like during their fellowship, have they performed 50 to 100 PAO surgeries? Um, are they performing a proficient a num number PAO surgeries per week, per month to stay proficient in the surgery itself every month. Like just because they are a PAO surgeon and they say they are on a website, if they only do six a year, that doesn't mean they're proficient. They need to be doing like six a week, basically. They need to be doing, I think on average is what the research is like 20 a month or something like that. So it needs to be a proficient number. So you need to be asking your surgeon, are you, how many are you doing a month? How many are you doing per year? Um, how many have you done total? 
um, and and just kind of talking and, and asking. And they need to be honest with those answers. Um, you don't want a surgeon who's not honest with their with their background either, because um, that's a red flag as well. Absolutely. So, I mean, to be honest, I don't think that's something that I would have even I would have even thought about asking. So, you know, I've been told that I'm coming to you because you're a hip dysplasia surgeon, and I'm now going to quiz you on how many have you done. Like, there's there's some real sort of hesitations there coming from somebody who perhaps isn't confident to feel like they can question somebody that's in that kind of rank. And I don't know whether that's society that's made us feel that way that we can't question people in oh, absolutely. But when you were saying that to me, I was feeling almost nervous about even questioning that person, right? So how did you feel when you were going through it second time around asking those questions? It's almost feeling like you're interviewing your doctor. And it's like, it, it is nerve wracking and it, it kind of makes you nervous, but you just kind of have to, I, I had to like write it down like pen and paper and be like, you know, I, you know, I, I just want to know what your background is. You know, how many surgeries have you performed in this? Um, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about what you've done and how many have you done? And, and just tell me, you know, and kind of make it, you know, maybe not like drill them, but, you know, ask in a way that like, um, you know, ask in a way that, you know, like, hey, you know, I, I would like to know more about your background. Um, you know, I'm not comfortable about the surgery. I would like to know more um, from, you know, where you're coming from and, and, and see if, and have them explain more um, about what they've done. Um, to have you feel more comfortable about the procedure itself. That's such valuable information. Thank you so much for that. Because again, I, I think that that will give people the confidence to say, do you know what, actually, this is important to ask. And I know other people that have asked and it's been a real benefit. And I know what's happened to some people that haven't asked in their stories. So thank you so much for sharing that. It's really, really important. And yeah, have your list of questions down on a piece of paper and just say, I've been advised that these might be some quest helpful questions to ask. Do you mind if I work my way through them? And then again, like you said, it doesn't feel like you're really kind of like, you know, hassling them for questions, but at the same time, you're asking everything that you're within your right to ask and yeah, getting the confidence absolutely. that you need to proceed with, you know, let's face it, it is a big surgery to have. So you want to have every confidence. And yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. So the next thing I kind of wanted to dig in a little bit into with you is the moment that you realize the surgery hadn't been successful the first time around um and I've spoken with a few people recently about like mindset shifts and how to tackle you know disappointment or change of direction of where you've been headed in your journey and how you manage to deal with that you know from an emotional point of view so how did you feel that time and then obviously like you said there have been multiple episodes of change of direction in your story so how did you manage to cope with it the first time and how did your management strategies change with each other time that you had these, like I said, unfortunate turns of events? The first couple of times, I definitely would have to say that I was less experienced dealing with it. And, and the first time I was very much crushed, I felt like um, dealing with the fact that it had failed and I had gone through all of this for nothing and 
now what am I going to do? Um, and, you know, is my life over from this point of view kind of thing, very dramatic, but, you know, looking back, that was, you know, over 10 years ago. So I was much younger, um, much less experienced in the process. Um, not that anybody wants to be more experienced in this process. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, I was, it is a crushing experience, but you kind of have to kind of turn on the heel and, and, um, and, and take that, that it, it's not over. Um, it really isn't over till it's over kind of thing. There are so many ways and doctors out there like, like Dr. Millis, um, that can help you fix things even when they are fairly messed up. Um, so life isn't over. It may have taken a detour um, and not the way you wanted it to, but it's not over. And um, you just kind of have to kind of roll with it a little bit. Um, and sometimes that's the hardest thing to do um, is to kind of let go of that control and none of us want to do that. Um, we want to know and control everything. Um, we're very organized people. A lot of us, um, type A, uh, very much. <laughs> I know I am, um, type A organized. I want to control everything. Um, and you have to kind of just let it kind of go for a little bit and see how it takes you, um, and that's what I've kind of had to learn with some of the processes with, with mine, just kind of going back and forth um, between different surgeries and recoveries for me. <laughs> that was that a dog? That was my dog, Chloe. Oh, she's, she's barking. She's a little Australian shepherd. So she's around here probably hurting something. <laughs> I'm a massive dog fan if you can get her up on the screen so I can be that would be amazing. <laughs> Always up to be people's dogs. Um, okay, so obviously that that's really tricky. And I mean, I've been having this discussion, like I said, with a few people recently about just sitting with your feelings and just acknowledging them and just saying, do you know what, this, this sucks. And sometimes it's about just sitting on the bathroom floor and just crying and just being like, this is okay. I need to feel this. And it's going to make me stronger and there is a way out but i just need to let myself feel what i'm feeling right now um is there is there any time that that's kind of how it felt for you yeah i mean i sometimes you just have to like let yourself cry and just have that moment i've had i've had to do that like you have to take your moments you really do and if that means like just having that moment to cry and just let everything out you have to take those moments but I, I just don't believe in like, you take those moments and you, you have them, but to not sit in them and like stay in those moments to keep moving. And, and so I, I try not to like, let it like take hold of you and just let it engulf you. And so I would let me, I would let myself have that, that moment, that day um, to like grieve that process and then be like, okay, I've had my, I've had my moment. Now I'm going to 
you know, what is, what is my next step and, mm. and move on. So do you, do you look back at this process? Um, and I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth at all. So please just say whatever comes to mind, but do you look back and wonder if this has just made you so much stronger as a person? Oh, absolutely. Like, I feel like it couldn't have made me a stronger person if I tried. Like, I feel like I'm made out of like titanium or, or like for those comic book nerds, like vibranium, you know, those, <laughs> you know, all those different um, comic book terminology. I just, it is, it's made me an incredibly strong person that, um, that sometimes I wonder, I'm like, I don't know if I needed to be this strong, <laughs> um, but uh, it has definitely made me a strong person. And so we, when we spoke last time, we talked about some of the things that you're doing with your life now um, that perhaps you may not have had the same you know, opportunity or window into these experiences had you not had this journey, but I wanted to touch on um, after you realized that, like you said, that you've lost some of your femur and, and your leg is shorter and that process that you went through and um, some of the things that you're doing now, like the, um, the wheelchair basketball and the skiing that I've seen that you're doing, like all of these wonderful opportunities that you've got now. And to just ask you how you genuinely feel about them, it, does it feel like it's an exciting window into something new that you may not have done otherwise? Or are there certain days that you just think, this is what I've had to do because of this like where's the mindset with that a lot for a long time for a couple of years after the process I just couldn't find anything that I liked I mean I had art and things that I had always done that I could still do that I have always enjoyed but physically like I was a distance runner and so I couldn't run anymore and there wasn't really a substitute people were like well you could swim and I'm like that is not the same thing <laughs> for you know people who are runners or swimmers or anything else when you're trying to substitute your sport for another sport it's just not the same thing and I just you know couldn't really find anything and and I was invited to play wheelchair basketball and I was just like this is so much fun and and it just brought that it brought like that like fire and that like spirit of competition back to me that I hadn't felt in a long time and then I was invited on a vet um a veterans um skiing trip and I got to do an adaptive ski trip this past February for a week out in Colorado and it was incredible and I I like I felt that high that I did when I was running and I was like this is like skiing is awesome like I definitely love skiing like I could do this all day every day like this isn't going to get old for me and we were we were out there for like five hours a day all day every day all week long like it was just amazing and I felt that just like, I guess maybe it was a skier's high, I guess, instead of a runner's high. Um, it was just amazing. And so um, for me, it didn't feel like I was missing. You know, like for now, like I don't feel like I'm missing running um, and I'm missing out on other things. I have sports that I get to do that I really enjoy and love doing um, that I have found that 
not only a joy that I get to grow in and that are new, um, that, that I don't feel like they're a substitute or less than um, for, for what that I, from what that I used to do. That's so inspirational to hear. And I just, I, I hope um, that when people hear this interview, they perhaps go and have a look at your um, Instagram account or Facebook account and to see some of these pictures of you skiing because it was just awesome. Like, I saw the picture and I was just like, yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're doing this sort of adaptive skiing. So what's the process to get something like that sorted? Like how would you um, go about doing adaptive skiing, for example? So if somebody is struggling and they think, I'd love to have a go at some of this stuff, but I just know that I can't weight bear on my legs for long periods of time. Like it's really difficult, it gives me pain, but I'd really love to have a go. So what's the process like for getting this stuff? A lot of, um, a lot of major ski resorts have adaptive ski programs or they have adaptive ski equipment and instructors. Um, I know where I was at, they had an adaptive ski instruction like center. Um, you can Google a lot of these places. Um, I know in the States, there's ones that most major um, ski resorts, you can adapt a ski. So they have the equipment, they have the instructors. So you can just call and be like, hey, you know, I, I need an adaptive ski and, and an instructor and they they help you through fitting the ski and showing you every little bit of the equipment to um, helping you through the basics on the bunny hill to taking you through the lift and all the way down your first run and your runs over and over again and helping you turn whether you need a little help or a lot of help you know like I mean, they can do however much you need or want. Um, and I know even internationally, because I have it on my bucket list to go to like Switzerland and ski, um, they have different adaptive ski programs. So it's just a matter of like kind of Googling in your area, um, some of the different programs um, that are offered for you um, to kind of check out um, uh, what is available um and i highly recommend it because it is so much fun but yeah i definitely recommend it for those that are that are struggling and i know there's a lot of hip hip chicks that are like you know oh i haven't been able to or my hips just haven't been able to and i'm like they're they will definitely get you skiing they will you know adaptive centers are there to help you ski any way that they can um and adaptive skiing is definitely a way to do it Thank you for sharing. That was absolutely incredible. So I wanted now to kind of bring you back to where you are now with your hip journey. So you said that you've obviously had your other PAO done and that that went pretty well. Um, but I just wanted to ask where you are now with your recovery, where, you're, where you are with your rehab, whether you're still having to do kind of stuff day to day. Um, but how are you getting on? Um, I'm doing pretty good. I'm actually um, enlisted the help of a trainer and I'm doing um, training a couple times a week and I do physical therapy once a week just to keep things like maintaining things. Um, I always try to keep things maintained throughout the year, whether I'm having surgery or not. Um, it's just the process of having Ehlers-Danlos and having lots of surgeries to maintain. Um, 
And then I've enlisted the help of a trainer to kind of help get back in shape because once I lost my hip, I just, my body changed a lot and I've never been able to kind of bounce back. And so I've, I've really wanted to, my goal this year has been uh, really to focus on my health and, and not only bounce back physically and get stronger, but um, be healthier and um, be more fit and have more endurance. And so she's helping me with that. Um, and just, um, just feeling better. And so I'm just kind of working on that process right now. And I'm feeling pretty good. That's amazing. I do want to just go back and just apologize for something that I said a few minutes ago. And I said, um, things that you have to do still, right? So I heard myself say it and I just heard physio is a chore, physio is something we have to do, physio is something negative, like that's the way I feel that came across and I want to just apologize for that because I'm sure there are some days that it does feel like a chore, something that we don't want to have to do, but there's a whole mindset shift behind that, right? So I want to apologize for, for saying that to you and to everybody else that's listening. So yes, there are some days that it's going to feel like a chore, but it's also something that we get to do for our body to do something really it's true for ourselves and there are moments that we all feel that way that's just yeah. I think that's just the human response that we all feel that way on different days that we're like oh I have like and I get that way like I have to do it like where I'll wake up in the morning I'll be tired and be like oh like I have you know PT today and and usually I have to just kind of smack myself and just roll out of bed and be like do it <laughs> just do it you know like get your butt up and do it because I remember being in the hospital so sick and wishing like oh I wish I could do it you know and when you don't have the ability to do it so um when it's taken away it's kind of hard to you know we wish we had those things so I just think it's the human response when we get tired or when you've had a lot of surgeries or a long recovery like a PAO and when you're doing it day after day after day and you don't feel like you're progressing as much or as fast as you would like to, it gets kind of tedious. Um, and it, and it does feel like a chore. And so I, I think that's just a natural human response. Yeah. I hope you didn't mind me bringing it back up again. I just thought it was something that's important no big deal. to acknowledge because I'm sure like that everybody feels it from time to time, but it's important to acknowledge that you, when you hear yourself say things like that and you hear those more negative comments coming in just acknowledging them and sitting with that and thinking is that how I really feel or is that how I feel now because of x y and z you know actually when like you said you can relate it back to times where you wish you had the opportunity or wish you felt well enough to be able to do these things it's all a mindset shift and you know actually just taking the time to analyze that acknowledgement and establish how you really feel about it and then yeah trying to take those positives you know, out of that situation, turn it around and do something that's really productive and, you know, turn you into somebody that has been incredibly strong, like yourself. You know, you said, I'm not quite sure I needed to be this strong, but. Um... <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. So is there anything that you are working towards at the moment, both um, personally, professionally, physically? Is there any goals that you've got that you're working towards at the moment? Well, I'm working, I'm on the board with Miles for Hips. So right now we're working 
um, we're getting ready for our um, hip dysplasia awareness month coming up in June. So that's always a, a crazy busy month for us. And so we're getting excited and ready and all of our activities and stuff ready for that. Um, so that's kind of more of my professional and fun, um, you know, outlet that I get to do um, that I absolutely love. It's, a, you know, uh, definitely a work of passion for me um, uh, doing that and working with the group of individuals that I do get to work with and then all the different um, volunteers like yourself that we get to that come on and work with us um, and then personally like I do um, I do artwork and so I'm working on a couple art pieces um, and just working on some different stuff a friend of mine announced that she my best friend announced she was pregnant so um, I'll get to be another auntie soon, um, have another aunt, uh, niece or nephew. So that'll be exciting. So just a lot of great um, life moments to enjoy for That's sure. Amazing. And at least things are starting to, well, I mean, things are starting to open up in the UK a little bit now, but how are things over in the States with the COVID situation? Um, they're starting to open back up. There's still some regulations and mask mandates and stuff like that. Um, and some things still at like different percentages of um, of openness and and how like capacity uh, percentage of capacity for like restaurants and stuff like that and like um, sporting events and different stuff is still pretty low in most states. I think there's a couple of states that have opened back up to normal capacity but that's not the norm for most states for us so Indiana is still pretty um we're still on uh you know on a capacity limit and we still have regulations in place like mask mandates and stuff which I figured is going to be in place for a while well I fingers crossed for you that your area opens up um when it is safe to do so that you can enjoy all of these amazing moments that you've got planned in your future so um I yes. really really appreciate you taking the time to come on and tell us a little bit more about your story um if anybody wants to hear a little bit more from Ashley there is the thankful Thursday interview on my Instagram profile on my IGTV that you can go back and watch as well um, if anybody does want to follow your story um, a little bit more, Ashley, where might people be able to find you? Um, my Instagram page, um, I'm starting to post more. And then um, just to request on Facebook, I post a lot on Facebook and keep things updated pretty well there. Um, it's just my first and last name, um, Ashley Spala. Um, uh, it's just at Ashley Spala on Instagram. So it's pretty easy to find. Um, and I post some of my art and then my dog. So um, the dog appears. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty perfect profile. To <laughs> know, right? <laughs> <laughs> the dog sometimes gets more of the Instagram than, than anything else. So, <laughs> which That's is fine. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. And uh, yeah, we'll keep in touch. And I know we'll be speaking soon for the Miles the Hips hip Disclosure Awareness Month coming up. So uh, yeah, I look forward to chatting to you soon. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks everyone.
Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week again with another inspiring and incredible guest. If you'd like to be on the podcast and come and share your story, then please just send me an email at laura at helpforhipdysplasia.com. You can also find me on Instagram at laura.rutterford or by searching help for hip dysplasia and send me a message on there. I really look forward to speaking with you. We'll see you again next week. Thank you.